The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There he is earlier in the week, popping open the box and pulling out the new Browns, Beckham Jr., jersey number 13. He will actually... Is he making a face? I think he was making a face. I I think Odell Beckham Jr. didn't like the road jersey. Anyway, we're going to talk about Odell Beckham Jr.'s future in Cleveland and more. Let's get rolling with some PMT Live. It's a Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBCSN, and we are back on Sky Sports Live, Peter King. This is only day number two. We had a five-week or so hiatus from Sky Sports due to the pandemic, but we are back, and we are not only on Sky, we are live. It's noon, London time. Hello, UK. Hello, Ireland. Hello, Peter King. How are you today? Mike, everything's going okay. How about you? How's it going down there? It's going okay. I'm up to 27 days without leaving my house, and I had a bit of oh an urge when I was walking up here. I saw the car, and it's like maybe I should jump in and just go drive around and just see that there is a world out there beyond my house. But uh, I don't know. I probably won't give into it. I, it's just that that little flash. Once every other day, I think maybe I should go out, but I have no reason to. There's no reason to go anywhere. Everything's taken care of. And we're grinding away, getting ready for the draft. Maybe after the draft. Maybe maybe by that point thing. I, who knows? Who knows? I don't even want to think about when things can get back to normal because I don't <laughs> think anybody really knows. And all I know is we're here to provide the ongoing diversion and distraction from whatever it is that's going on beyond our homes. And, uh, of course, I say that in the first segment is a coronavirus update. So much for the distraction, <laughs> Peter. Um, let's get right yeah, into it. The all, biggest let's, name let's yet from a player standpoint, and really only the second player that we know about that's had the coronavirus, Vaughn Miller, Super Bowl 50 MVP, has tested positive, is dealing with some symptoms, nothing severe, a cough that his 
girlfriend thought didn't sound normal. He also has asthma, so he falls into that category of people who have pre-existing conditions that could possibly make things worse. So far, so good. He said he got tested a couple of days ago. He started to feel normal yesterday, and then that's when he found out that he did indeed come back positive. He joins Brian Allen, the Rams center, who tested positive for the coronavirus. Sean Payton, the Saints head coach from a few weeks ago. A couple of former players have died from it. But, you know, this is the biggest name by far as it relates to a player. And, again, it's only the second one we know about. But it's Von Miller, Peter. And one of the reasons he came forward with it is he wants people to realize that it needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, I think it's very, very good that he comes out and just talks about it plainly. Um, because, clearly, look, in the United States right now, Mike, so many people who aren't even being tested – are presumed to have the coronavirus. And I think Von Miller coming out from what I read last night, I think Mike Kliss in Denver talked to him. And his whole point is, let's be altogether transparent. I'm going to tell you exactly how I'm feeling. I'm going to tell you exactly what the symptoms are so that if you have this and you are maybe spiraling down a little bit, you've got to call your healthcare provider and really advocate to be tested. We know that there aren't enough tests right now in the United States, but the only way you get more is for people like Von Miller to come forward calmly, coolly, sensibly, and really advocate for better treatment uh, of this deadly disease. It's amazing to me that I've noticed some people are very circumspect about acknowledging they have it. And I understand medical privacy is an important thing, but at a time like this, I mean, there's no stigma to having the coronavirus. It's, it's a virus that makes its way through the population like the flu, and that doesn't mean it is like the flu, and I think the numbers we've seen have shown otherwise, but there's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's more important, I think, to make it known, especially if you're someone that people know about, somebody who has a position of prominence, and I applaud Von Miller, and I hope no one out there who's had it, who's in a position to grab a microphone and say, hey, people, don't screw around with this. Take it seriously. Continue to comply with stay-at-home orders. Continue to wash your hands. Continue to not touch your face. Continue to do everything you've been doing because this is real, and it's not good if you have it. So hopefully people, whether it's in football, other sports, celebrities, whoever, if you get it, make it known that you have it. There's nothing to be embarrassed about because anyone can get it, and a lot more people will get it if the most prominent people in our society have it and keep their mouths shut about it. Yeah, and I think I really liked the fact that Tony Baselli, both to me and to several other people, <clears throat> came out recently and basically said, hey, listen, I had it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had it. Here's what it was. And here's the warning signs of it. And here's what you really should be careful to avoid. And so those are the kind of things, because look, Mike, you know that probably you and I, I know I do. I spend a couple of hours every day, even now in the middle of draft mayhem. I spend a couple of hours every day looking and seeing what the latest is, whether I'm watching Governor Cuomo talk here in New York where I live or or watching some of the uh, uh, President Trump stuff in the evening or just watching the news. I've really gotten into watching the PBS News Hour with my wife after dinner. 
And so I am really trying to get as much news as I can. But the fact is that probably the vast majority of people in our country don't do that, or I should say the majority. Because, you know, a lot of people, when the news is a bummer, they say, hey, I'm going to watch Cheers, the reruns of Cheers or whatever. And I don't blame them at all for doing that. But I do think it's good when somebody who's a very prominent member of our society stands up and says, I've got it. Here's what I'm feeling. If you feel anything like it, don't ignore it. And let me tell you, it is difficult to continue to stay up with the news of this. It wears you out mentally and emotionally. It does. And I have reduced the amount of time that I will subject myself to this every day. I'll watch Brian Williams on MSNBC at 11 p.m. Eastern. That's not a plug. It's a fact. And I'll watch some of the nightly news with Lester Holt on NBC at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Again, that sounds like a plug. It's not. It's a fact. Beyond that... I can't hover all day long on cable news channels anymore, Peter. After three or four weeks of it, I just reached my limit. You, it's, it's, this, it's this weight that you carry around every day, but you still want to know what's going on. And I think now that we're getting into this debate as to when the world is going to get back to normal, we need this reminder that people are still going to get it because we need that reminder that we still have to be careful because people far above our pay grade will be making the decision about when – the world begins to go back to normal, and that's when the risk is going to be heightened dramatically for a lot of people once the doors on society open up again, even if, and again, I don't, I'm not expressing any opinion about when they should. All I know is I can already sense that there will be a sharp disagreement as to when the world is ready to get back to normal. The sports world at some point won't necessarily get back to normal, but it'll get back to existing, and President Trump mentioned yesterday in his daily coronavirus task force briefing that he has convened a meeting of sports commissioners and other influential individuals and he believes that sports will return without fans and we have been bracing for that reality for a while now however it's going to look however it's going to sound however it's going to feel it's going to start off without fans but then the president acknowledged something that has been bouncing around in the discussion about this, Peter, for the past few weeks, and that's the possibility of a phase-in where, at first, instead of the stands opening up again and being full, it's going to be people with space between them, a checkerboard type of a pattern, which is just going to be bizarre when that occurs, but he believes that's going to happen, and I think people in the sports world believe that's going to happen before we get full stadiums back. Because, look, you get some ticket revenue that way. You get some fan interaction and involvement. You just don't have the full-blown experience. And I don't know when that occurs, but I tend to agree that at some point we will see that, Peter. We will see these stands partially filled, not because it's a Bengals game. Sorry, Bengals, but that's kind of how your games have looked lately. But because that's the limit as to who's going to be allowed in the stadium. Mike, I think Dr. Fauci the other day basically kind of laid out exactly what this will be. Um, and I've had a couple of conversations with people around the league who, you know, honestly, a general manager, when I'm talking to him about the draft, it, it, as you understand, it, they they have a few monitors on because they're doing a lot of draft stuff and they might be on a Microsoft Teams thing with their team or Zoom video conference or FaceTime, whatever, but they also have the news on. They understand what's going on. 
And I've had, I had two conversations with general managers this week about what's happening. And I think the first reaction to um, five months from now, less than five months from now, the Kansas City Chiefs are scheduled to open on Thursday night, September 10, against somebody. Houston, maybe, Atlanta, I don't know, somebody. And most likely, I'd say, you know, it, it's getting more and more likely by the day. They'll play in an empty stadium. And if indeed that happens, how weird and, and, and strange that it's going to be if you have to play without fans. You know, in fact, Stephen Hauschka, the Buffalo kicker, told me last week that, you know, he, he honestly thinks that coaches are going to have to talk to players about playing in a stadium without fans for a variety of reasons. You know, you don't want your, your signals heard and all that other stuff. But I do think, Mike, it is part of the new normal that we're all going to have to deal with in the United States. And if you are in the NFL, you know that in some way, and I don't want to be too corny, that you're going to be part of the, quote, getting back to normal and sort of the healing of this country because obviously... Once the games start in September, if indeed they do, I think then you have all of the people who watch the games are going to be looking forward to it as normal. And remember, what's the what's the figure? 93, 95% of the people who watch NFL games are watching them on television. They're not watching them in person. So I, I really believe that even though how weird it'll be to not have games with fans, Adam, I mean, it's better to have the games without the fans than to not have the games. And one of the realities of these various plans and possibilities that are being discussed, Peter, is that every answer that arises gives rise to more questions. When Dr. Fauci talks about the feasibility of playing the games and basically sequestering the teams in a big hotel, okay, fine. Well, who's going to go along with that? Who's going to leave his family behind for four months? Are they going to be allowed to have their families with them in a hotel that all of a sudden gets even bigger when you add a spouse and a couple of kids to it? There will be plenty of issues that need to be addressed, and that's why I continue to be an advocate of as much planning as you possibly can do now because the act of planning, the act of identifying solutions gives rise to more questions. Just the, the possibility of a checkerboard pattern in a stadium to keep fans sufficiently separate, Peter. How in the hell do you get the people in and out? How do you get them to the bathroom, right? When you're the guy who's dead center in the row of 20 seats and you've got people on each side of you and they're three seats away, so while you're watching the game, you have enough distance, how are you going to get past them if you have to pee? Right. I mean, so it, it, there are so many. It's just I feel like it's an avalanche of questions every time we identify. Well, maybe this will work. Question, 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 question. It's like, I don't know, maybe it won't work. But that's what's frustrating to me, because we've got these ideas spinning around. And I just wonder, are people really taking it all the way to the bottom of the rabbit hole with all the questions that are going to come up based upon these various scenarios? Well, Mike, I think one of the things that you're assuming, and this was this was advanced by the uh, purported baseball model, 
where players would have to go to Arizona for four and a half months and leave their families. And I just heard an interview yesterday with Mike Trout, who, you know, who has a wife who's going to deliver a baby this summer. So if the best game and best player in baseball says, I'm not doing it, then obviously time to come up with another plan. But I don't think it's ever been said that on Labor Day weekend, all the players in the NFL have to go somewhere and be sequestered until January 1st. That's not it. I believe that what Fauci was saying was that every player and every coach, every essential staff member, trainer, all, all that stuff, all those people essentially are going to be tested once a week. And, you know, if you don't have fans in the stands, and let's say each team would need 150 people to be at every game. Well, you do a test every week, and then what you do is you take their temperature at every game. And, you know, that raises all of the possibilities, too, that if Patrick Mahomes comes in with 101 degree temperature one day, instead of being gutsy and doing the Brett Favre, oh, I'll play with a fever, whatever, you're not playing, you know? So, so I, all of these things are going to come up, but I don't believe that the NFL, or I can tell you the NFL PA is, gonna, is going to sign off on people leaving their families for four months to play football. I think well, not- that they will be tested every week, but I don't think that they're going to have to be monks every week. I'll just say this, Peter. If you don't sequester the players from the normal pathways to being exposed to the virus, especially if schools are open and the kids may be bringing it home any given day, you better test them a lot more frequently than once a week because all it takes is one guy to bring it into the locker room and it's going to spread like wildfire. So I, I, and I don't know what the quality of the testing is going to be when we get to September, but ideally you'd want to screen a guy for it and know whether or not he has it before he walks into the building every day. Because all it takes is that one guy. And then you have, and again, this is why I'm saying every, every answer we come up with triggers more questions. What if one guy has it? Yeah. How long is he taken out of circulation? Who else is taken out of circulation? And you have to be willing to apply the same rules to the backup center that you apply to the franchise quarterback. If Tom Brady tests positive, even if he's completely asymptomatic. So every answer spawns more questions and hope. Hopefully people far smarter than us are addressing those questions and coming up with the answers. We need to take a break. Yesterday, we talked about the Browns and their failure to deny the report that Odell Beckham Jr. was potentially going to be traded. Yesterday, they issued a denial. Do we believe it? We'll discuss that next here on the Well, on Wednesday, Mark Malusis of WFAN in New York reported that the Cleveland Browns were discussing a potential trade of receiver Odo Beckham Jr. to the Vikings for a 2021 second round and fifth round draft pick. And it just kind of sat there. No one came out and shouted fake news on the record. The closest we got was a report from Brown's beat writer Mary Kay Cabot that a source close to the Vikings said it was false. And from my perspective, Peter, that wasn't nearly enough for me to conclude that it was false. And 
I can't go too far down the path of what I did, but I know I did some stuff. I know Sims did some stuff. And both of us kind of put our heads together and said, man, if there was nothing to this, we'd be hearing something other than what we're hearing in response to the stuff that we're doing. Now, 24 hours later or thereabouts, Paul D. Podesta, the chief strategy officer for the Cleveland Browns, had a conference call with reporters, a pre-draft conference call. Those are happening all over the league now. And he was asked about the report, and he said, in short, I will just say it was completely false. It was frustrating a little bit, obviously. I think it's pretty clear what we're trying to build at this point. We've done an awful lot in free agency. We're excited about what we have a chance to do in the draft. We're really building around a core of players, and we think we have a chance to be a championship-caliber core. The idea that we would take away from that core at this moment just does not make a whole lot of sense and is really not something we are exploring at all. It is completely false. All right, I don't want to be... Well, I am going to be. If it's completely false, why would you say it's really not something we are exploring at all? That's a loaded line there, Peter. Really not something we are exploring at all. I don't know that you even put it that way. It's real. I am I am I doesn't be, that I, mean I, you're not exploring it at all? <laughs> really not. But but it's really not something we are exploring it. I I don't know. I want something. I just want. I want something shouted from the rooftops Wednesday, not something that even has a little sliver in it where you can you can fish around with the words and wonder whether <coughs> he, he, he's try. Look, I, I, everybody's for sale. Everybody's available, right? If somebody wants to blow their doors off with an offer for Odell Beckham Jr., what are they going to say? No. So I, I feel like. I feel like he he wants to slam the door on the talk of a trade to the Vikings for a two and a five, but. Like with every other player, except a true shortlist franchise quarterback, he's trying to make sure people know the door's still open just a little bit in case somebody wants a call and make them an offer they can't refuse. Well, I mean, in the span of one paragraph, he said they're really not exploring it at all. He said it's completely false, and then he said it's completely false. So, I mean, that seems to me to be quite a denial. So, look... I understand exactly what you're saying, but I do think, Mike, I thought about this a lot yesterday and talked to two people about it uh, who basically said there's nothing to this. So I don't know whether there's something to it or not, but I do think that if Chris Mortensen said it and reported it, it would have had a little more gravitas than a radio talk show host in a town that isn't uh. Cleveland or Minnesota. That's that's I, all I'm saying. Peter, I, I know Mark Melusis and I like Mark Melusis. Yeah. The fact that, but the fact that it came out of nowhere from somebody who doesn't have the track record, from somebody who has everything to lose. If Mort gets one wrong, and we know he's gotten some wrong, we've all gotten some wrong if we're chopping that tree every single day. If you're only gonna take one swing with the axe, you better hit that tree. Because if you don't, you're never going to hear the end of it, and there's never going to be a new report that makes everybody forget about the one you got wrong. So I actually think that Mark Malusis, who's never reported anything that I've noticed in the 20 years that I've been covering the NFL almost on a daily basis, the fact that it was him actually made me take it more seriously. And Sims and I were talking yesterday about the trail of breadcrumbs that really isn't all that complicated that gets this to Malusis because if the Vikings or anyone else are talking to the Browns about Odell Beckham Jr., they're going to call the Giants at some point. 
And WFAN is the Giants' flagship station. And is it a stretch to think someone with the Giants who would like to see chaos for the Cleveland Browns and Odo Beckham Jr. gave into the temptation to blab? That doesn't surprise me at all if that happened. That's why, for me, I want if there if there was anything to deny, I wanted the denial right away. And it's quite possible that by the time the denial came, both sides decided this deal isn't going to work, and they went their separate ways. And at that point, it serves no one's interest to acknowledge there ever was anything to it. I'll tell you what. As a lawyer in life, man, you must have gone down some deep rabbit holes because that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. That's, I, that's I, utterly, utterly preposterous. Wait, what's, what's dumb ridiculous. about it? Tell me. Listen, if you're going to call it dumb, here's if what's you're going to say that, here's tell what's me what's dumb, dumb about, about it. it. You think, you honestly think, you honestly think that if Chris Mortensen on the, on, in the middle of the day Wednesday had reported that the Browns and the Vikings are talking about a trade of Odell Beckham Jr. for a two and a five, that nobody for the Browns and the Vikings would have come out strongly, if it's not true, would have come out strongly and said that's not true. I mean, I, Peter, I think you've I've got think to once consider the Peter, source Peter, here, Mike. Peter, Peter, once I, I'm telling you, this is going to sound horribly immodest, but once it shows up as the top story on PFT, regardless of who's reporting it, you've got to address it. So I, I'm I'm not I disagree with you. I you saying that what I said is the dumbest thing you ever heard is the dumbest thing I ever heard. So there I've turned the tables. The, all well, how you saying that I said was the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> that you ever heard is the dumbest thing that I ever heard in the world. Hey, Mike, Peter, listen, here's let me what just it ask comes down this. to the bottom line. And I do understand because people definitely pay attention to pro football talk. I get it. And could and should the Vikings and the Browns have put out this kind of raging brush fire? Um, but, you know, it obviously was a topic of conversation. Should they have put it out? Maybe, maybe, but I still maintain, give me one person uh, right now who, and, and I'll, I, you know, I just, I just thought of this when, when we were talking, suppose that a reporter for the, the Carolina Panthers flagship station comes out today and says, uh, I have heard that Dak Prescott is going to sign a four-year $150 million contract with the Dallas Cowboys today. Different, different. And That's different. Different. Okay, There's how? no reason how? for the Panthers flagship. Why would the guy with the Panthers know about it? If Dak Prescott had been traded to the Cowboys by the Panthers, then then it's got more credibility. Peter, let me tell you that, and, and, and we got to end it here. But I, I, I want to be very careful in what I say next. But when this first came up, I got in touch with someone who would know what's going on and that person had an opportunity to tell me do not under any circumstances put this out there you'll be making yourself look bad you'll be making Malusis look like a fool do not I'm telling you there's nothing to it do not touch it I gave that person an opportunity to tell me that and that person didn't tell me that that's why we went with it and that's why I waited for someone to shout from the rooftops that it's false and look, maybe this is more of a PR thing with the Browns than it is a there was something to it Wednesday and then by Thursday there wasn't something to it. Or maybe just the mere fact that it got out caused everyone to kind of run their separate ways and not do the deal. Regardless, 
Regardless, um, I think there was something there Wednesday. And I think if there was nothing there and never anything there, somebody needed to say something well before Thursday. That, that's my belief based upon everything I know. And again, I don't want to say anything more than that because I don't want to compromise anyone. But someone who would know had a chance to say, do not put that out there and didn't. I, Mike, I'm not denying that, that it's possible that at some point these two teams have talked or that four or five other teams have talked, okay? But, you know, I sat at the, uh, back when there were large gatherings, I sat with a prominent NFL general manager uh, at the league meetings, or at the, at the league meetings, at the scouting combine, and, and listened to him tell me essentially how many people that he thought would be in contention to get a certain player in the NFL right now, who has not been traded to this point, but how many teams would, and here's what would happen and all that stuff. And so I went to the two teams that he thought would be the most involved, and both of them looked at me like I had two heads. The, first, the, the team with the player said, we're not trading him. The team without the player and was supposed to be chasing the team with the player said, we have no interest in him. And so the question becomes, the question becomes at times like that, does it raise your antennae? Yeah, what, did I have my antennae raised about another thing about DeAndre Hopkins at the scouting combine? Absolutely unequivocally. So, but all I'm saying, Mike, is that, you know, should the Cleveland Browns and the Minnesota Vikings, if indeed they've ever had a conversation about, Odell Beckham Jr. You know, and let's say it happened two, three, four weeks ago or, or even two hours ago, okay? Should they, A, respond to all those things and B, shout them down? Because my guess is Andrew Barry and Rick Spielman and all the other general managers in the league have a lot of conversations about a lot of players. Well, if it's false, you shout it down. And if it's true, you keep your mouth shut. And I think everyone tried to keep their mouth shut for 24 hours. And who knows? Maybe they wouldn't have said anything if Paul DePodesta didn't have a conference call yesterday that was already scheduled. All right, we have to go. Something happened yesterday that hasn't happened in 17 years. We will tell you what it was when PFT Live continues right after this. All right, Caesars has the projected win totals, the over-unders that you can wager on. I don't know how they're going to adjust these numbers if there ends up being a short football season. That's a topic for a different day. But based upon a 16-game season, there they are, the Chiefs and the Ravens, top of the stack with 12. That's the over-under. The stunner, though, Peter, for the first time in 17 years, the New England Patriots are below nine. There they are in a cluster of teams with eight and a half. Who would have dreamed we'd see the Patriots and the Browns with the same over-under? The Patriots and the Bears with the same over-under. Are you kidding me? And how in the hell are the Packers only at eight and a half? My goodness. I tell you what, I'd, I'd uh, run not walk to the window to bet the Packers over eight and a half. There's the rest of them. Uh, all the way down to Washington and the Jaguars at four and a half. Cincinnati actually gets to five. Peter, anything uh, anything jump out at you when you see those numbers? The Packers eight and a half. 
Now, Mike, I realize I just said what you said is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But the <laughs> Packers at eight contender. and a half is the dumbest <laughs> betting line I have ever heard in my life. Are you kidding me? Eight and a half with Aaron Rodgers healthy? I mean, that is the that is just rampant silliness. And you know, could I have the Bengals at the under? <laughs> if yeah, they're I five. Uh, come on. I mean, some I think, some I think Joe things. Burrow is going to be great. Joe Burrow is going to be great, but he's not going to instantly when? make that team of a, a six win team. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but I, but you know what is what's what's cool about those numbers really is that, you know, and I just saw him for the first time. I'm not a gambling guy. But when I saw those things, Mike, the one thing I said was, you know, to me, I, I, I am I'm fascinated that somebody sits somewhere in Las Vegas and tries to figure out how to make enough people bet the over and enough people to bet the under, because that's what gambling is all about. And the smartest thing that they did there, in my opinion, I think it's very smart, is to put the Patriots at eight and a half. Because honestly, right now, today, if you knew that the New England Patriots were going to start... Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer, one of those two or both, if they were going to start the majority of the games for that team this year, I mean, seriously, how many games do you think they'd win? Do you think that Bill Belichick just, you know, uh, you know, tosses his head headphones on the sidelines and, and just because he's out there, they automatically win 10? I mean, that's that's a little silly. And so to me... I am fascinated by the Patriots number and most of the rest of them are, I mean, the Packers at eight and a half. Stop. Just stop. Can we put those up again? Because I saw the Packers at eight and a half. I saw the Bears at eight and a half. I want to see where the Vikings are on this list. There they are at nine. I, nine. I'm not. I mean, the Vikings have had an exodus of veteran talent. They traded Stephon Diggs. Everson Griffin is gone. Linval Joseph is gone. They cut one of their starting offensive linemen. Their offensive line isn't all that great. Dalvin Cook managed to be healthy most of the year last year, which was an aberration relative to the rest of his career. I don't know that of those four teams, I'm picking the Vikings as having the highest win total. I mean, the Packers were the two seed last year, and they were one drive inside the five-yard line between the Seahawks and the uh, – uh, 49ers would be in the one seed. So I, I, yeah. it's, it'd be different if the Packers had a down year. There's no reason to look at the Packers and say, boy, they've really fallen apart. They were bad last year. They're going to be worse this year. I, I, I don't get it. And I, when I see something like that, Peter, my thought is, what does Vegas know that I don't know? Because they have a hell of a lot more incentive than I do when it comes to figuring out what the right number is going to be. Like you said, they want to set the betting equal on each end there's no way it's going to be equal on each end that number is going to go up and up because people are going to be taking the over mike can we put that up again because i want to see where the teams in the afc east are i want to see buffalo and miami okay buffalo's uh, at nine buffalo's at nine show me where miami is let's go let's down the next the screen. page the next page miami's uh, at six wow miami's at six i take the over on Miami right there. I guarantee you that. I mean, Dolphins had a better record than New England after Halloween last year. Um, 
And the, I don't the know. Jets I mean, are higher. It, the Jets are higher at six and a half. How about that? Uh, that's that's not accurate. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, somebody, you know, I, I don't know. It's a little bit silly. But but look, I think we've all seen. I, I, I'll never forget this, Mike. Last year, I don't know. I've done this two or three years in a row. As one of the last columns I write before I go on vacation, I rank the NFL teams from 1 to 32. And the easiest thing, of course, any year is to say, hey, let's look at the standings of last year and project them and have all those teams up at the top. Well, stupid me, I had San Francisco at number seven. And <clears throat> I would wager that I've never gotten more mail or email or whatever saying, you are a nincompoop putting the 49ers at seven. And you know, all those people were right. I put them way too low. And, and my point is that in the off season, we can look at things like that and say, man, that's idiotic. Like I came out with something this week. I'm writing it for Monday in my column. I would not take a wide receiver in the first round. I just wouldn't. I understand how good C.D. Lamb is and all these guys. But the recent track record is that the far better receivers over the last four drafts, far better, not even close, have been taken in the second round. And, and so, and I've got some numbers to prove it and everything. It's indisputable. But, but anyway, the initial reaction when I said something about that on Twitter is, Go to bed, old man. You know, go, it, it's ridiculous. That's dumb. So people don't like it when you say something that is counter to what they're pretty sure they believe. Like in this week that C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs are all going to get picked in the top 20. And if you don't get one of them, oh, you've been left at the starting gate. And l let me just amplify your point there. I think for Michael Thomas, who has become the best receiver in the NFL, broke by 10 receptions, I think, the single-season receiving record that had been held by Marvin Harrison for years. I think the fact that he went in the second round actually made him better. I feel like not it's a combination of not carrying around that first-round tag, not having that ego boost that comes from being a first-rounder, and also having a chip on your shoulder because you weren't a first-rounder. Uh, I agree with you. I want a guy who's pissed off that he lasted on the board, especially yeah. in a year like this. Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM, said last week that you can find a starting receiver in round five. That's how many the they are. Round, so I agree yeah. with you on that. Yeah. I, it's nice that we agree on something after our knockdown drag but out. Mike, I, I, let me – That's I another make reason one one more not to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. I, I want to make one more point about this because it's something that I really believe in strongly. Okay, to me, and I know we're far afield from your original topic, but I believe in what I call trait receivers, okay? Like Michael Thomas, he ran a 4-5-5 at the Combine, and everybody said, forget Michael Thomas. We don't want this guy. He's too slow. He's a linebacker. Well, they didn't watch him win 70% of the 50-50 balls. They didn't watch how competitive he was and how he's going to play just like Jerry Rice for the rest of his life with a chip on his shoulder. And that is what Sean Payton saw. That is what Mickey Loomis saw. The New Orleans Saints saw things that other people didn't. And they knew because of the way their offense worked. 
an intermediate passing offense with Drew Brees, if you're really competitive for the ball and if you're great after the catch, those are Michael Thomas's two best traits that you're going to fit in just fine here. And what he's done, I'm sure it, it, it surprises all of us, but the, the Saints knew that he was going to succeed. Debo Samuel, trait receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. You know, uh, Nicole Hardman for Kansas City, the exact, they can do a few things that you really value in Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco and in Andy Reid's offense in, offense in Kansas City. And they show up extra salty because they weren't first-round picks. And on that note, a guy who wasn't a first-round pick or a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth still remembers it 20 years later. We'll talk about that next year on PFT Live. It's amazing. Tom Brady's still salty 20 years later. He posted on social media the list of the quarterbacks taken in front of him. 20 years ago yesterday and he adds at the bottom nope i haven't forgot i don't want to be mr grammar here i think it's i haven't forgotten but that's okay we'll cut him some slack the six super bowl wins give him the ability to misconjugate a word once in a while why does he still have a burr up his butt 20 years later tom you've made it you've won the rest of the guys are gone. They're done. Giovanni Carmazzi never did anything. You've got six rings. You're married to a supermodel. Let it go. Mike, that's what makes Brady Brady. It just does. And just like we were talking about, you know, trait receivers, you know, we bring up the insane competitiveness and the, and, and, you know, of guys like, you know, Jerry Rice and that and that ilk. I think it's always going to be the same thing with Tom Brady because he believes that that is one of the things that gets him out of bed in the morning and gets him to play at age 43. I had a college player this week. I'm writing about him in my column. He said, my goal is to have a Tom Brady career. And I laughed and he didn't laugh. And he said, I think I could play till I'm, till I'm 43. And so you get this, and Brady is on the mountaintop, but one of the ways he stays on the mountaintop is remembering April 17th, 2000, or whatever day it was. I think that was it, 16th maybe. Chad Pennington, Giovanni Carmazzi, Chris Redman, T. Martin, Mark Bulger, and Spurgeon Wynn. Spurgeon yes, Wynn. Spurgeon Wynn was drafted <laughs> 17 spots, actually 16 spots before Tom Brady. Um, I, here's the thing, though. I, I understand that's why he is who he is. He's, he's, he's lived the last 20 years tormented by this or tormented by anything. I mean, that's the price of greatness. You're never satisfied. You're never happy. You're constantly looking for something to piss you off and keep you moving forward, Peter. I wouldn't call it tormented. I think he compartmentalizes the torment. I think he has the ability to live an absolutely, totally normal life and be this, be a flatline guy, good human being, all that other stuff. But there's part of him that will always remember. He can open the file drawer to be ticked off about the 2000 draft. 
I don't disagree with that, but I will say this. I've seen the pictures. There's absolutely nothing normal about Tom Brady's life, and I mean that as a compliment. All right, we have to take a break. <laughs> Eli Manning, Tom Brady, and others are doing something very good to raise money for COVID-19 relief. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Super Bowl 46 in Indianapolis. The New York Giants took down the New England Patriots, one of the great throws of all time, one of the most underrated throws of all time, that Mario Manningham catch and the needle threaded by Eli Manning. He wins the Super Bowl MVP for the second time. He gets the car that goes along with it. Well, you can now have that car as part of a COVID-19 relief giveaway. That's an all-in challenge that was started by Michael Rubin of Fanatics. And star athletes are coming up with things they can offer for this cause. And for Eli Manning, it is the Corvette that he got when he became the Super Bowl MVP nine years ago. He said, I will actually come and hand deliver this to whoever wins it. We'll get to hang out for a little bit. We'll chat. I'll get to meet your friends and family. Maybe we'll go out to lunch and maybe I'll teach you how to handle this bad boy. That's what he said in a video promoting the all-in challenge. So neat, uh, neat gesture by him uh, to give up that Corvette. Golf and dinner with Peyton Manning is also available. A workout with Saquon Barkley. And also, Tom Brady is offering an invitation to attend the Buccaneers home opener and hang out with him afterward and get his game-worn jersey and cleats, Peter. These are some awesome items that are available. Look, you know, what I've noticed is everybody around the league feels essentially how everybody around the United States feels. What can I do? Um, and I think everybody has it in their head, man, I just, I feel heartsick about what's going on in our country and I want to help. I want to help the, uh, medical workers on the front line. I want to help the people at restaurants who are suddenly out of jobs, uh, maybe forever, may, at least for a long time. I want to help good on all these NFL players for, for doing so at a much higher level, Mike, than either me or you could help. Yeah, and that's the thing, and it, it, it crystallized for me when Robert Kraft and Jonathan Graff found a way to use their team plane to get it to China to bring back all those masks. And it's already been two weeks. It just time is like both compressed and elongated, and I don't know when the hell anything happened. But I remember when that occurred, and we talked about it, Peter, here. It's an inspiration for us to find whatever we can do within our own circle, whatever influence we have, whatever money we can contribute. There's something we can do, and it's those little gestures that pile up. Or in the case of professional athletes, big gestures that pile up, and, and it inspires others to try to find ways to do the same. Uh, yeah, Mike, I, I don't mean to plug myself, but I'm going to be doing something on Tuesday between 4.30 and 5.30 p.m. on Zoom. I'll publicize it in my column on Monday with Peter Schrager of Fox and Chris Sims of NBC to try to do some work for some hunger groups in the United States. So stay tuned. All right, well, good stuff. And again, we can all find a way to help out in any way we can within our own circle of influence. We got to take a break. Another full hour of PFT Live still to come right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.